learn about the newest digital pathology trends in science and industry, meet the most interesting people in the niche, and gain insights relevant to your own projects. Here is where pathology meets computer science. You are listening to the Digital Pathology Podcast with your host, Dr. Alexandra Zhurov. Welcome to the Digital Pathology Podcast. Today, my guest is Victor Dillard. He's the Commercial Operation Director of Alkin. Alkin is a company that uh, is active in different areas, but one of the areas is digital pathology, and that's what we're going to focus on. So welcome, Victor, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? you? It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks. Great to be here. (laughs) Nice. Um, Tell the the listeners who you are and tell them a little bit more about Alkin. Yeah, with pleasure. So my background actually is in chemical engineering and I started my career in entrepreneurship working for Flagship Ventures as a fellow in Boston. To which I, my own company in developing software solutions for CRISPR gene editing. And all of that was based on artificial intelligence. I grew that company and exited in 2019. And I learned a ton about how AI could be useful in fundamental and preclinical research. And all the work that we did was focused on basically R&D, everything leading up to IND filings. And so having spent the first part of my career basically in preclinical R&D, I really wanted to broaden my experience and get some uh, experience into more the clinical development side. And I joined Alkin in January this year after uh, meeting a lot of different AI teams in the space. And I was really impressed after being introduced to Alkin by the high caliber of people, the, the vision and the quality of the science. And the tech stack, which enables this this awesome privacy-preserving federated learning that I'm happy to talk about. And so I joined Alkin as commercial operations director. And what that means is I support our commercial and sales activities with processes and systems to, to structure that and all the reporting that goes around it. And a lot of my job is also to look at the technologies that come out of my of our lab and turn them and shape them into commercial offerings. So that means talking to early adopter customers, setting up pilot projects and gathering that early feedback that helps inform the development before we before we then really formalize a, a pricing sheet and a method of deployment and so we a lot of my work is focused on doing that okay so what are the areas talking is active in it's not only pathology so anything that kind of touches ai and clinical development it falls under our mission umbrella and so the way that we're structured is uh, we have alkin lab which is our R&D core, our R&D engine. And that's split into four different data modalities. So the first is uh, histology. So we work a lot of, we, we have a lot of digital pathology work that goes on within that team. And then we also work on radiology uh, data, clinical data, and genomics. And in each of those teams, we have data scientists who are also paired up with medical experts or pathologists in the case of the pathology team or radiologists, so actually, you know, practicing radiologists who can really bring that expertise into the team. And then the kinds of projects that we try and work on are either projects that fall purely within one of those lab teams or more excitingly sometimes when they can actually leverage multiple lab teams, so multimodal or transversal projects where there's multiple types of clinical data. Mm-hmm. And was it set up that way from the beginning or did you move into pathology as a company 
at some point? How was that set up and why there is also pathology? Because there is more to medicine and to clinical development than just those four, four categories that you meant. Why did pathology yeah. earn the place there? I think pathology earned the place there because it's a really key part of a lot of modern medicine. And with the advent of digital pathology, it lends itself really nicely to AI, right? It's a, a perfect time to get into AI and pathology because we, we have now a, a much more and, and growing adoption of a digital pathology. So we have the images and then there's AI technology that's been developed in image recognition, image to image translation. There's a ton of technology developments that allow us to actually look at pathology and say, okay, yeah, now we can do really amazing things to automate and simplify the pathologist's workflow to accelerate or to even discover new biomarkers with the naked eye. There's really, it opens up a myriad of different opportunities. And so when our two co-founders, Tomac Lozelle and Gilles Wenry, came together and they were looking at where does AI fit within transforming medicine today, I think pathology was definitely top of the list because we have, we have the images and, and we have the algorithms to work on them. Same thing with radiology. And of course, structured clinical data is always the, the, the starting point. And then genomics also being now a digital science, if you will, lends itself very nicely to, to AI. And how is the pathology team structured? And I tell you why I'm asking, because I want to ask how you work with pathologists. Do you yeah. have people on staff or do you have collaborations? What's the role of pathologists in this pathology offering? Yep, both actually. So we have pathologists who are collaborators. So I'll tell you a little bit more maybe about how Alkin operates and then it'll mm-hmm. contextualize sure. it. So, uh, Alkin sets up partnerships with top tier academic institutes and key opinion leaders to build machine learning algorithms in collaboration with, with KOLs. And so these KOLs provide obviously the expertise and they usually also then provide a data set that comes from, from their research institution. And then Alkin brings the machine learning and together we build these fantastic models. And that's how the virtual staining that we'll talk about later came about. And then some of these KOLs have an extended relationship then with uh, with Alkin and also to advise on specific projects outside of what we will have worked with them directly on. And so we will have expert pathologists in our network that are either part of our larger KOL network that we can go and talk to and get advice or specific pathologists that are also acting on as a part-time consultant to, to Alkin. And then within the pathology team or the radiology team, we will also have a full-time expert. So in, in the radiology, we have a full-time radiologist. In the pathology, I think we have a part-time pathologist. That's the way that we operate and really trying to bring the two minds together because a data scientist needs an expert to work alongside them and mm-hmm. vice versa. So you mentioned the virtual staining. This is the product or service. Is it the product or a service at the moment? That you're offering. That's part of my yeah. That's part of my job. Is that we're that's part of the de- definition. It's an algorithm, and right now it's available on the license basis. So it's it's a product that you can license, mm-hmm. and I can tell you a little bit more about it. It's so it's a very kind of a curious uh, new product. The idea is that we think about it as actually a technology platform because mm-hmm. what we started with are, are two markers that we think prove the concept that we can expand on this, but it takes an HNE whole slide image and without having to do any real staining, it will create the digital immunostained uh, whole slide image just from the back of the HNE slide. 
And we launched this with two IHC markers, a CD3 for staining uh, lymphocytes and AE1 and AE3 for staining epithelial cells. And so from the end user's perspective, the way that it works is, is pretty easy. It's, it's the platform. We either have it on our server as an algorithm or within our software called Studio, which, is, which has a user interface. And the platform ingests an HNE slide uh, in SVF or TIFF format, for example. And just using that, the algorithm will then generate a new image as a file on the server with the IHC marker selected. So that mm-hmm. then medical researchers and pathologists can create thousands of digitized immunostained slides just from the HNE images at the click of a button. And on a normal computer, the whole process, I would say, on a single GPU takes on average 10 minutes to generate you know, a whole slide. So not just a tile or, or, or a section, but the whole image. And if you have a more advanced computing capacity and some of the fancy new servers, this can take a couple of seconds. Okay, per slide. Per slide, yeah. So basically, it's instead of uh, doing IHC and buying antibodies and validating this assay, you would take the algorithm and use it on whole slide images, H&E, and validate this process instead of doing the wet work with IHC. Yeah, that's the idea. And at the moment, the output is just the image, which you could then use to load into a cell counting or cell detection uh, model that you already have or software. But so, yeah, the output is a file that you could you can download and browse and ideally which is just the same as the image you would have scanned if you had done the staining with with an antibody marker that you would have bought and done in the wet lab and how did you come up with this idea yeah as, as with many of the innovative models we created at Alkin, it started from a strong research collaboration that i mentioned earlier with a pathologist from our Alkin loop which is this network of partner hospitals that we have and one day a they effectively short on time and, and budget uh, to carry out some physical CD3 staining. So we simply asked the question, what if we could generate the, the IHC image digitally, purely from the HNE slide? Is that even possible? And, it, and basically, that's how the whole idea was kicked off. After that, there were many hurdles to overcome, but that was what incepted the idea. Okay. And can you tell a little bit about the development process of this? Yeah. How did you transition from wet to virtual? Actually, the, so the first hurdle is to get the data, right? With any machine learning project, the data is key. And so we had to generate two real images of the same slide, one stained with HNE, and then the other with, uh, in this case, CD3, which was mm-hmm. the, the, the marker we started for. So not consecutive cuts, but really the idea was to generate a whole slide stained with both markers, one after the other and so effectively a double staining right so take the mm-hmm. first slide stain it then wash it but and then restain it with another one so that we can have so that because if we did consecutive cuts for example we'd have three or four micrometers difference which means that the exact yeah. cells in the whole slide image would change and we would mm-hmm. not be able to really train our model to to because it's a i'll get on that in a second it's a model that does an image translation so uh, we needed to have the two perfect images so we had to create this double staining protocol effectively to generate two images that we could overlay the next the second hurdle is then the the alignment of the two images so that they match perfectly cell to cell Mm -hmm. so it's not a a trivial task because it's i don't know imagine aligning two satellite images of a city taken at different times 
mm-hmm. and in different weather conditions, there's maybe some minor changes that are uh, difficult to pick up and to align. And so we wanted to make sure that the whole image really was aligned overall, but then also at a patch level to have perfect alignment. So that was the second hurdle that that we had to overcome. And that's where a lot of the data science uh, work went into was to really make sure that the co-registration was spot on. Mm -hmm. So then once we had those double stained aligned data, we used these machine learning generative adversarial network, or again, to train our virtual staining model. Specifically, we used one called Pix2Pix, which is typically used actually to, for example, add color to old black and white photos. And uh, GANs are a, a pretty recent development, I would say, in machine learning. They, they're composed of two networks that mm-hmm. compete against each other. So the first one is called the generator, and uh, the second one is called the discriminator. So the generator, as the name suggests, creates these new CV3 images, and then it gives them to the discriminator who then decides whether the image that was generated is real or fake by comparing it to the the original real stained CV3, and then informs generator whether basically passed or failed the test, and then the generator iterates. And so, and round and round they go until the discriminator can no longer recognize a fake image from the real one because the generator has become so good at creating these images that it can effectively trick, if you will, the, the discriminator. So if, if you were to take the analogy of a painting, for example, if, if you wanted to copy a Picasso painting, you'd be the generator and then me, the Picasso expert, would be the discriminator and tell you whether your painting is a real Picasso or, or not. And then after thousands of cycles, you, you get so good at, at uh, replicating Picasso that I can't tell the difference. And so that's uh, that was the use of GANs. I think another interesting aspect of what we had to do is that so th- these image generation algorithms like Pix2Pix usually work with images of about a thousand pixels wide. So we had to adapt Pix2Pix by dividing the whole slide image into these tiles of 500 by 512 pixels. And that actually was really helpful because it allowed us to have like about 25,000 tiles to train the algorithm from just one image. So from a data perspective, we get like really rich data from a whole slide image. And then so we could then also be a bit creative and add add boosting features to train the algorithm more effectively by, let's say, spiking in some var- variety like the images or adding some color augmentation so that the algorithm can be used and can, can get trained with a bit of noise and a bit of, so it's not perfect slide by slide. And we cut the, the slides into these tiles and then it randomly picks the tiles to, to learn from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. so that, that's the process of creation. <laughs> Let me just uh, sum up and correct me if I'm uh, wrong in summing this up. So it's two networks working at the same time. And the mm-hmm. one is generating images out of nowhere so to say and then improving the generation based on the feedback of the other network of the discriminator and then it gets more feedback and gets trained whereas the the discriminator has labeled data because it has the original ihc image so it's like supervised uh, feedback to an unsupervised image generation can it be? Yeah, effectively. Some, yeah, some, okay. that would be one okay. way of then, putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. So, who is this for? Again, or who, who do you, you want it to be for? Because what yeah. stage of the project are you now? Yeah, that's, it's a, not that's, something that's a useful point to start. 
yeah, so that our, our I could buy yeah. off the shelf. It, it is, mm -hmm. but let me maybe give a bit more information around mm -hmm. the performance of it, and then that helps people situate a little bit about what stage it's at. We assessed the, so we, we trained today three different markers, as I said. So two of them, we are in advanced stages of that, which were the CD3 and the epithelial markers. And then we also have, which is just being finalized at the moment. And so when we finished training those models, we assessed the performance by comparing the virtually stained image back to the ground truth. And we look at the correlation between both images. In the case of CD3, we looked at the lymphocyte density, for example. When we take the correlation coefficient for the CD3 marker, we've got about 96% correlation between the two images. And uh, in the case of the epithelial one, it was 97%. So we think that's pretty good for first-generation technology. And uh, the other test that we did is we gave the virtually stained image to our consultant pathologist, and they were not able to tell the two images apart. Tal by tal, a random kind of test, and they couldn't really differentiate. But for some, they could, but on the whole part, uh, quite a difficult task. So we then also looked at like at a cellular level when we run, let's say, a positive cell detection algorithm on both images and then compare the results, we obtain precision and 72% and a recall rate of 63 for CD3. We think we can actually still improve on those results because we think those are important metrics as well with additional data as well as better cell detection algorithms because they're not perfect either, as we know. And so we invite all these and continue to invite academic collaborators. So, so based on those metrics, we think that the algorithm is ready for folks who work in computational pathology or digital pathology teams within pharmaceutical and biotech uh, companies and clinical teams, for example, who may want to run some proof of concept studies or want to explore retrospective cohorts of HNE slides for which they may not have the CD3 stain or the epithelial stain to be able to maybe run some analysis and see whether or not there's a correlation of interest there. So we think that the technology is at a stage right now that for some of these markers from an R&D perspective, they're you know ready to go and you can come and, and license them and use them onto your images. But obviously from a clinical perspective, we're still a long way away from validating the algorithm and, and we're required to do a really rigorous study for them. So if there's anyone listening that would be interested, they should contact you. Yeah, absolutely. Would We'd be, be delighted to speak to them. Yeah. Interested to take this uh, to the next level or apply. Mm -hmm. And um, I will link the, the contact information in the show notes as well. So apart from this virtual staining, are you working on anything else in digital pathology? Or do you have your eyes set on something? as the next yes. project once this is totally mature and oh, I wish life was yeah, I wish life was as easy for us as one project after the other. Alkin is now a 100-person company, and so there's got a lot of projects happening in parallel, lots of really exciting things. And in pathology especially, it's hard to be objective, I think, because we love all the pathology projects that we've got. So I'll pick out a few, but maybe I'll just focus on the track record that we have. I think one of the exciting work that we did was in mesothelioma, which was published in, um, in Nature Medicine just last year, where we showed 
by combining digital pathology with artificial intelligence, we could accurately predict prognosis for mesothelioma patients. But not just that, we also were able to discover new biomarkers that predict the response to treatments for mesothelioma. So we think that's a really great kind of case study for the capabilities of our pathology team, especially when we then bring in also the clinical data team and, and the two teams work together. Uh, on these projects. The other um, side of what we're working on is we published also recently a model that's called HE2RNA. And so mm-hmm. what HE2RNA does, uh, it's another great invention from our pathology team, it, it basically predicts RNA-seq signatures from h slides. I think the whole sector of genomic prediction from images is really just starting to open up, I think, and, and Alkin is really pioneering in this field. We're, we're excited about this. But so you, you can think about an RNA-seq profile like HRD, for example, that we could predict just starting from an HE image. And, and that can then be used to inform, let's say, patient identification or, or treatment decisions. So that's another area that, that we're innovating in and excited about some of the work that we're doing there. I definitely want to link those publications as well in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and there's a whole page on our website with all the publications, but I think I'll send you the ones with the, the HE2RNA. It's very cool stuff, and we're excited about some of the more. It's a, a publication that, that talks about the, the, the HE2RNA model as a whole, and then we're excited to then come out with some of the really specific examples of how it works on particular signatures. Mm-hmm. So you say for the virtual staining, you're using GANs, the Generative Adversarial Networks, and they are pretty new before it was mostly convolutional neural networks, still is for the supervised Mm -hmm. learning. Where does this information come from in terms of innovation? Who comes up with this idea, "Mm, let's use this AI method? So, then I'm gonna ask another question. It, what about the pathology part of the innovation? But that's like more, well, that, my, more my part of the story. So that's why I'm starting. Yeah. With the, with I think the I'll answer both at once because at, at Alkin, I think one of the real fundamental beliefs is that innovation is collaborative and and really groundbreaking research is collaborative. And so this is why a lot of our uh, a lot of our work is done in partnership with key opinion leaders who bring that expertise uh, from the hospital, from the pathology lab, from the radiology lab. And then Alkin brings the machine learning expertise uh, within individual disciplines as well as a really a good and, and deep understanding of of the, the clinical landscape around that so that we're able to have a common language to speak with the KOLs and the experts. But it always usually starts with the partnership, a very close partnership mm-hmm. with our academic partners, as well as the lab that I said, our R&D engine. It's a world-class data science team. One of our co-founders was a professor in machine learning. These are the experts and they're at the forefront so of, of machine learning techniques mm-hmm. and this is what they do. And they go to machine learning conferences and they read machine learning papers all the time. So this is their expertise, it's their job. They're very good at it. I, I think they have that information, but your your question is really around how does that innovation happen? For me, it happens when the collaborations come together and the experts challenge each other and, and also ask questions that trigger things that, that then make the connections in, in, in your brain that allow you to say, actually, yeah, we should try this. It, it doesn't happen in silo. I think it's a very important point that you have to have an understanding of both disciplines on both sides. 
you're just expert in one, but if you don't have enough understanding of the other side, you don't know which methods mm. you can apply. So if you don't have enough understanding of how IHC works uh, in the lab, you will not be able to apply the appropriate machine learning method to generate it digitally or virtually. So that's my mission as well of the blog and of the podcast to bring those two worlds together. Yeah. I, I think one of the one of the things also sometimes with machine learning for people who aren't in the space is that it's a pretty black box approach, right? Where people just say, hey, okay, I've got this algorithm, it takes this stuff and then it outputs this magical result and we don't really go into detail about how it does that. I think a key part of, again, it's core to our mission here at Alkin is to make machine learning understandable and we, we believe in, in a clear box approach where actually when we get a result, we can go back and understand how that result was generated. It doesn't apply itself necessarily or lend itself easily to every type of machine learning, but if you're going to to develop an algorithm that's going to be used by scientists or ultimately by clinicians, you need to be able to explain it and you need to be able to to open it up and, and build that trust and that understanding that there's a logic to how the result is generated. And oftentimes that actually is, is a really interesting part of the whole conversation is how did it get to that result? That's often more important than the result itself. Definitely. I think that's also increases the credibility of the method if you can see what's actually happening and now that it's also required by the regulators uh, at least in european union the data protection regulation requires this so if ever this is gonna be applied to decisions on humans it has to be explainable Mm-hmm. And I have talked about it, I think, in some other episodes, that there is this whole new emerging area of explainable AI. That's exactly yeah. what's growing on top of the machine learning movement, if you can say that machine learning scientific discipline. There is mm-hmm. this another sub-discipline that tries to explain. So it's great that you're embracing this. You have to because you're located in Europe, right? Where you are and uh, (laughs) where you work. Yeah, well, Alkin is, it's now a global company, but our R&D center is in Paris. That's really where the the majority of our team is located. And then in the beautiful city of Nantes as well, in the west of France. But our corporate headquarters are in New York. And me personally, I work from the London office. And we, we, we just finished our Series A, which brings a total Series A round to 70 million. So it's, it's really a, a great time to join Alkin. We're in full expansion. We'll be in Switzerland soon. I think it's hard to, when people ask me, where are you guys located now? It's the trend now. We can work remotely as, and it's, that's the day and age that we live in now. So that's not a problem. But also, Alkin is really focused on hiring the right talent for the job. And if the talent is in, in San Francisco or if it's in Berlin or if it's in Madrid, then, you know, that we will adapt to people's situations. And I think that's a key part of, of the mission of growing the team. So your R&D lab, this is not a wet lab. This is a machine learning and computer lab. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. based in mm-hmm. Paris. And then any wet lab activity is usually done by the academic collaborators okay. that mm-hmm. we work with. By the partners. Okay, yeah. so what was the most difficult part in this virtual staining development? What was the thing? Was there something that you did not expect, like the major hurdle that you had? You mentioned some of them, like the aligning of slides. 
I think it's, it depends on who you speak to within the company, because of course, the data scientists working directly on this, they, they might say that you're part of the alignment was particularly tricky or, but I think as a whole process overall, one lesson that you always take away is you want to engage not just the expert pathologists early on, but you also want to engage your customers as quickly mm-hmm. and as early on in the process. And they will give you ideas about, let's say, I don't know, which markers are more interesting to them. We chose mm-hmm. CD3 because that's, we had the data there. And as an AI company, it's always a balance of mm-hmm. if I've got the data, I can start and I could do the proof of concept or do I try and find the perfect data and then delay? So here we chose CD3 to validate it. But I think as a learning, it's always around how quickly can you engage your customers and get that feedback about which markers are interesting for them? Do they prefer the fluorescent markers, for example? So should we adapt our machine learning mm-hmm. to maybe work with, with fluoro and, and multiplex systems and that kind of information around where should we take this once we've got the proof of concept? I think is always a key learning on, on how quickly you can generate that feedback loop. Yes, it's also crucial now that you don't get stuck in your idea because exactly. if somebody uses it, then you had a nice idea <laughs> and yeah. that's it. Yeah. You cannot really build a, a, a real life business around it. But it's not always super easy because sometimes the people don't necessarily see the application right away. And, and sometimes maybe with virtual staining, once once we get five or ten markers available, then suddenly you, you've got a whole multiplexing capability that you can do straight onto your, your computer that you didn't need to do before. And then maybe some people will come in and say, oh, actually, yep, this triggers a really great idea for me. I think we could go ahead and, and look at this whole panel of things that would have taken me a ton of time to do manually. Again, it's part of that iterative cycle of innovating. You've got to keep in touch with the market and your customers, but also continue pushing on the vision and taking risks. And right now we're, we continue to take the risk that, that we believe this is a, a great platform and it needs to continue progressing. And even if, even if not every marker works, it, we learn a lot about machine learning at the same time. We learn a lot about digital pathology workflows and, and particular markers. So it's certainly not a lot of knowledge that's uh, wasted or lost. I think there's definitely a lot of application for this. I think that one hurdle will come from the skepticism of the future applicants of this. And here this explainable AI comes into play. Um, I think because IHC as such is, is a complex method, there is a lot of variables that influence the binding of the antibodies. And I think there's going to be significant challenge to convince people that it can actually be done digitally. That's such a complex Mm -hmm. procedure interaction between the molecules in the tissue can just be translated digitally from the information in the image. But if you have this validated sufficiently for different markers and you can point out to what's being the driving factor in deciding that these cells are positive. And it doesn't have to be something that we see with our eyes, because if it was, then probably we would have already seen it. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> the debate yeah, internally. We, I think there, there will certainly be markers which for which the model and the platform will not necessarily perform with sufficient accuracy that it can be deployed. It's fine. It doesn't have to be and everything. Exa- it does, exactly. And and so we hope that at least for the ones that visually we can distinguish from an HNE slide for that, we can definitely hammer it out of the park and, and have a great performance algorithm. And then the, the other side of it, which we think is exciting, is maybe there are morphologies that we're not necessarily aware of right now or, or distinctions that we're not aware of right now to the naked eye are too small to distinguish, but that the algorithm will be able to detect and that, that maybe it doesn't 
yield a you know super high performance but that's linking it back to the explainable ais if you can go back and understand how did it try to differentiate and, and do this marking maybe we'll pick up some new things so that's weird i think that's part of why we want to test a range of markers from what people might think are easy ones uh, all the way to what are certainly going to be some of the more challenging ones like probably pd1 will be an interesting one to go after <laughs> yeah I am excited. I keep my fingers crossed for for this to succeed and to get to the next level. Um, Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners? First of all, thanks for listening to to me talk about Alkin and and virtual staining. And if you have any interest in technology or, of course, in in learning how it was developed, Alex, I'll share with you the link so you can share it with your Mm -hmm. listeners. There's a blog post where our data scientist, Olivier, who did the, the great work here, talks about his journey in developing the model. And then, of course, if you want to trial it, get in touch with us. We'd be more than, than happy to to show you how it works and also trial it on some slides, HNE slides of your own. So we're open. So one last question. You said it can mm-hmm. be either sent as an algorithm to use on your own platform or within your software platform. Yeah. As a kind of platform on, mm-hmm. on which you could run this, there's really two ways. The first is you, you can imagine if you have a, a server in, in your institution, we can deploy the algorithm and you can basically send an image via an, an API, an application mm-hmm. programming interface, and then the algorithm will just run directly on your server and then generate the image and then you just go and find the file directly there. So no user interface, it's much more of a command line approach. Alkin also is developing a a software platform called Studio in parallel. And Studio is a software that we develop for medical researchers who want to train new machine learning models. And so it it works with pathology images. And just recently, uh, we also added radiology as a functionality. And so you can build your cohort within Studio. So assemble your pathology images, for example, and then train a new machine learning model like or apply one of our existing models like a prognostic model or a recognition of, of certain gene expression. And you could also do some virtual staining. So on studio mm-hmm. uh, soon to be released get onto the platform and then click on the virtual staining upload your your hne slides and then you get the the virtually stained slide to be able to download or just visualize and browse directly in, in studio mm-hmm. so that's much more of a user interface you can click around and it's uh, if, if you're not a, a software person who is comfortable with a command line that would be the solution for you okay thank you so much for joining me today thank you for taking your time and have a great day. Thanks, and Alex. All have the a great best. day, you too. <laughs> yes, all the best. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. For more great digital pathology resources, visit the Digital Pathology Consulting website and subscribe to our newsletter on digitalpathologyconsulting.com. After subscribing, you will get access to the free Digital Pathology Crash Course, which will help you start working on your digital pathology projects immediately. Talk to you in the next episode.